Session number five, and speaking in tongues. We just read uh, verses 13 to 19 of 1 Corinthians 14. In verse number 13, when he says, Wherefore, let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. That means, for this reason, Paul is now going to speak to the people who love to speak in tongues in public. That's who he's speaking to in these verses. For you who do the speaking in tongues in public, this is directed at you. Let the speaker in tongues seek God for interpretation for the sake of others. And again, I want you to cast the onus. You seek God for the interpretation. You can do this. You can press in and say, God, let me move in these gifts. You seek God. Now, what Paul is going to do is he's now going to relate to his own personal experience. To elaborate a specific principle, Paul is going to give personal testimony. What Paul does not say in these verses, that when you speak in tongues in private, that you should pray for the interpretation to benefit your own understanding. He is not saying that. Because that would go against what he's already stated in verse 2 and 4. You don't need to understand to be edified when you pray in tongues. You are edified without understanding. You don't need it. He's not praying. He's not saying, now you, you pray in tongues at home on your own. Now ask God for the interpretation. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, the point is simple. When you pray in tongues, the mind is not benefited. Your mind. You are, can be edified in your personal life without your mind being benefited, but we're talking about church services where the other person is not benefited. When he says, My spirit prays, he's referring to his own spirit as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. That implies, even though it is under your sovereign control, speaking in tongues is an activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many want more of the Holy Ghost? Speaking in tongues is an activity of the Spirit in your life. Now, praying in tongues is not a bad thing because it doesn't edify the mind. It doesn't need to understand for your personal edification. That's the point. It doesn't need to understand for the personal edification. Um, doesn't, you know, God doesn't always go through the human brain. Praying in tongues is a way in which you can be edified without the need for understanding. So Paul's own testimony is this. He's going to do two things. One is for his own sake, and one is for the sake of others. Listen carefully. First, he will pray with his spirit, meaning he will pray in tongues. That's for his own personal benefit. According to verse number 18, that is his regular private habit. Paul himself speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians. And knowing how zealous they were for speaking in tongues... So much so that Paul has to bring major correction to their overzealousness of it. By this statement, when he says, I speak in tongues more than you all, could you please tell me how much did Paul speak in tongues in private? How much is a lot? More than all the Corinthians, come on. How much did Paul utilize this gift in his own personal life? Constantly. 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 This guy raised the dead. This guy had miracle ministry. This guy had preaching ability. This guy was powerful, powerful, powerful in ministry and preaching. Gifts of the Spirit. Raised in the dead. Speaking, enduring trials without end. What got him through all of that? Where did that tune-up come from? His private habit of continuously speaking in other tongues. 
But nobody else ever heard him do it. But he himself was devoted to praying in other tongues. Absolutely devoted to it. So Paul says, I will pray with my spirit. Meaning, I will pray with tongues. And secondly, he will pray with his own natural dialect when with other people. He says, I'll do both. When I'm by myself, I'll pray in tongues. When I'm with others, I'll pray in, for you and me, we'd say English. I'll do both. Both are beneficial when they're used correctly. He will do the same with singing. I'll sing with the Spirit. But with others, I will sing with understanding. This probably refers to singing psalms, you know, psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. You and I can sing out in spontaneous praise in English. You and I can bless and we can give thanks in English when we're with other people. If we don't pray, praise, sing, or give thanks in our natural dialect, but only do it in, with tongues in the presence of other people, verse number 16 is the result. Verse number 16 is the result. You are experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit as you speak in tongues, but there is no edification for the rest of the gathering. Please note, and I already pointed this out in verse number 16, that when you give an utterance in tongues, you are giving thanks. It's not a message from God. It's a giving of thanks to God. And without that being interpreted, your thanksgiving doesn't bless the next person unless it is interpreted. The unlearned, when it says, he that occupies the room of the unlearned, it simply means people who hear tongues but don't understand them. How are they edified? How can they agree? How can they sympathize with the worship? To be sure, you're giving thanks well, but it's not helping the church. It's not helping the other person. So what value does Paul put on speaking in tongues? Well, verses 14 to 18 that we just referred to is his personal testimony as to his own devotional life. He speaks with tongues more than all of them. Quite a claim when you're measuring yourself against the Corinthians. Paul would devotionally pray, sing and praise with tongues. By doing this, Paul affirms tongues in the strongest of terms. He affirms it. But he does so in a manner that will cause them to rethink how they use this gift that is under their control. I'm sure, because they thought Paul was very anti-tongues, I am sure Paul certainly surprised them with this statement of his own personal extensive use of tongues. The crucial question is not whether you speak in tongues or not. The crucial question is what is appropriate when in the presence of other people. Can you make the distinction between your private life and your corporate one another relationships? So he says in corporate gatherings, five intelligent words are more edifying than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. In verse number 19, you know, to edify means to instruct others. That's probably a throwback to verse number 6. It says, how do you want me to come? I should come by knowledge, by doctrine, by revelation, by prophecy. It's for the sake of edifying other people. Now that he has dealt with this topic, when you get to verse 20, and I'll read verse 20 to 25, we are now going to talk about the effect of tongues on unbelievers. So far, it's about the effect of tongues on believers, and it doesn't work, unless it's interpreted. Now he's going to say, speaking in tongues in the presence of unbelievers. So let's read verses 20 to 25. Brethren, don't be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding, grow up, be mature. And he quotes from Isaiah, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. 
Now, based upon that verse, some people say, I can get a message from God in tongues. With other tongues, I will speak. That's where they would probably get that idea of a message from, from God in tongues. But I'll go over that with you. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. Now, listen to this. Not to those who believe, but speaking in tongues is a sign to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all are speaking in tongues, and there are coming those who are uninformed or unbelievers, won't they say you're mad, you're out of your mind? Because they don't understand anything. And then he goes on to say something that you're not, you're not expecting it. It says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And yet he says, prophecy is not for unbelievers. And then he talks about unbelievers being converted through prophecy. Have you ever got confused reading that? Well, here we go. Paul concludes now with the effect of what all this is on unbelievers. In verse 20, he wants to redirect their thinking about the purpose and the function of tongues. Then he is going to give, even though the gift of tongues did not occur in the Old Testament, he's going to demonstrate for us what speaking in other tongues did in the Old Testament. Now, isn't that double talk to you? I'll get, get there. He says, tongues is a sign not for believers, but it's a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but prophecy is a sign for believers. And then he's going to illustrate the effect of tongues on unbelievers, and he's going to illustrate the effect of prophecy on unbelievers. Uninterpreted tongues do not convert unbelievers. But he's going to make the point that uninterpreted tongues have the opposite effect. If an unbeliever hears uninterpreted tongues, instead of leading to conviction and repentance, the tongues will fulfill Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, which he quotes. Instead of leading to conviction and repentance, uninterpreted tongues fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. Even hearing, speaking in tongues, the unbeliever does not obey. It is prophecy that will lead to their conversion. Paul first urges the Corinthians to stop being children in their thinking. Stop being children in your understanding and stop being children in your discernment. He says, don't be children in your thinking. Be children when it comes to evil. But in your thinking, grow up. But in your thinking, grow up. Now, go back with me to Isaiah 28, and I want you to see the irony that Paul is using. Paul is an expert at using irony. Sometimes he gets on the edge of sarcasm. Here's one of those times. In Isaiah chapter 28, it says in verse number 11, Isaiah 28, verse 11, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. That's what he just quoted in 1 Corinthians 14. If you go back to verse number 9, go back to verse number 9, To whom shall he teach knowledge? And to whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Those that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. What he's saying is, I can't teach infants anything. So, grow up. (laughs) He says, you are infantile in your thinking. Grow up. Now, let me 
tell you the thing of Isaiah chapter 28. Let me tell you the history behind this so you can understand what Paul is getting at. The context of the book of Isaiah is simple enough. Judah would not listen to the plain teaching of the Lord through their prophets. The prophets came, they wouldn't listen. So God says, since you aren't listening through the prophets I send you, how about you now listen through the tongues of your enemies that I will send against you? In other words, the Assyrians came, and the Assyrians wouldn't speak Hebrew, obviously. The Assyrians would speak Assyrian. Since you're not going to learn from me, through my prophets, you're going to learn through your enemies. In other words, put it this way, Tongues is a sign of judgment upon unbelievers. That's what he's getting at. It's a sign to unbelievers, but it's a sign of judgment. When unbelievers hear tongues, it's a judgment. That's the context of Isaiah. When Judah heard the foreign tongues of the Assyrians flowing into their city, they knew it was judgment. That's the point that he's being making. When they heard the Assyrians coming in, filling the city of Jerusalem, they knew judgment had come. So, In other words, since you're not going to listen to my plain teaching, I'll just let the Assyrians do the teaching. And you won't understand a clue what they're doing, but it's judgment. In Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, when God created tongues, was it not judgment? In Genesis 11, is that not correct? When God created tongues, was it not judgment? How about Daniel 5, when a hand appears out of nowhere and the writing is on the wall? Many, many tekel ufarsen. It was tongues. Wasn't it judgment? Every time there's this God speaking in foreign languages to his people, it was judgment. Every time in the Old Testament. When God would use a foreigner to talk to you, it was judgment. That's the point that he is making. Borrowing this analogy of the history of Isaiah chapter 28, Paul demonstrates that unknown tongues is a sign well enough for unbelievers. It's a sign of judgment. This is exactly opposite of what the Corinthians thought. Languages not understood cannot bring forth any revelation from God, thus no faith is imparted. If God speaks in tongues to an unbeliever, since they can't understand it, no faith is imparted. It is a judgment. By contrast, prophecy is a sign of God's approval because it is intelligent speech. Thus, unbelievers will look upon uninterpreted tongues as madness, resulting in no conversions. Madness, pure madness, because they don't understand Now Paul shows why he greatly prefers prophecy in the public assembly. And in doing this, he's going to demonstrate to us, though this is a different topic, that prophecy is potentially available to all believers. It's potentially available to all believers. Prophecy, because it is understood, has the capacity to deeply penetrate into a person's conscience. An unbeliever can be convicted called into account. When it says he is convinced of all, in the Greek that word is only used in the epistle to the Corinthians, and it appears ten times. Actually, that word appears nowhere else in the entire New Testament, but does appear ten times in 1 Corinthians. It means to examine, it means to judge, it means to discern. It means a prophetic word will cause the unbeliever to be exposed before God. And it's a summons to repentance before a merciful God. 
Why would you want to speak in tongues in the presence of an unbeliever when it's uninterpreted? Why? Because speaking into tongues to an unbeliever in the Old Testament is always a judgment. Why would you do that? Does not God love that unbeliever? To speak in tongues to an unbeliever is a wrong thing to do because it's always a sign of judgment. You're not there to judge the unbeliever. You're there to see him saved. Therefore, prophecy is the right gift. Don't bring judgment on the unbeliever. Tongues is judgment. If you speak in tongues without interpretation, they'll think you're crazy and they'll go away in further judgment. It's the wrong effect. Prophecy is what you need to do. Have you ever seen unbelievers converted by prophecy? Have you ever seen it happen? It's about time, don't you think? I have seen it. It's about time. Converted by prophecy. It exposes them before God, causing them to repent before a merciful God. The unbeliever is also judged of all. The irony of this statement is the Corinthians had been examining Paul by their definition of spirituality. Now they should prophesy in order for proper judging to take place. When it says the secrets of the heart are made manifest, that unbeliever's heart is made manifest, laid bare. Back in chapter 4 and verse number 5, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, Paul talks about how everything will be manifest at the day of judgment. All the secrets will come to the the light on that judgment day. What prophecy does is it takes the judgment of the future and makes it happen now. Did you catch that one? The judgment of the future, that judgment day of Christ, which we all have to stand before that judgment. What prophecy can do is cause it to happen to us now. Which is a good thing. You know why? Because that means when you get to the judgment seat, you're clear. There's not an issue to clear up at the judgment seat. It's already out. You don't want to go to judgment seat with issues. You really don't. And through these gifts of the Spirit, this, this, the secrets of the heart are made manifest and you're convinced of all and you can clear yourself up before the judgment. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is able to reveal the human heart because the Spirit of God knows and He searches the heart of man. There can be a deep plowing of the human heart. Speaking in tongues does not have that effect on an unbeliever. Prophecy does. Amen? Conversion results from intelligent speech. The unbeliever, it says, he will fall on his face. Whenever you have been fallen on the face, that is a sign in Bible of surrender. There's so many verses that teach that. The unbeliever will confess that God is in the midst of his people. That is a quote, if you'd like to write it down, from Isaiah 45 and verse 14. It is also hinted at Zechariah 8 and verse 33. So, unknown languages spoken before unbelievers is a sign of judgment against them. Therefore, it's definitely the wrong tool for you to use. Definitely the wrong tool. If they're interpreted, fine, but just to speak in tongues without interpretation is the wrong tool to use for unbelievers. Unbelievers will be convicted through prophecy. Amen. Straightforward what Paul is saying. But there is another sign, another way in which tongues is a sign to unbelievers. There's another way. And this time it's a very positive way. And that is on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 12, or Acts chapter 2, there were 120 that spoke with tongues. They spilled out onto the street. And without interpretation, the unbeliever understood them. Why did the unbeliever understand them? Because it was in their dialect. 
it is like me going to Japan. And what, how many Japanese words do I know? Do I know one? Yeah, I might know two. Yeah. Uh, how many do I know? But what if I'm standing on the streets of Japan and I'm speaking in tongues and it's Japanese? Don't need an interpreter. They understand. That way, tongues are assigned to unbelievers, but it's not an unknown tongue to them. Unknown to you as a speaker, but it's not an unknown tongue to them. That happened on the day of Pentecost. Have you ever heard it happening? Do you know of examples of it happening? Thank God, I do. I know I have a friend, my father in the Lord, that was in the city called Pueblo, Colorado, United States, all Mexican. This man doesn't know a word of Spanish. He might know two, he might know three. God, why are you sending me here? I can't communicate with these people. Began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. Hasn't a clue what he said. Twenty minutes later, they came flocking around him and they knelt before him and began kissing his hands saying, Gracias Padre, gracias Padre. To this day, he hasn't got a clue what he said. A sign. A miracle. A miracle. There are many instances, and if you just do any history about speaking tongues, there are many instances where this has happened. That's probably... You know, the working of miracles when that happens. But it does happen. It's unusual, but it does happen. History is filled with such examples. So, let's go to verse 26 and start reading. What's the upshot of all of this? Now, starting in verse 26, after he's laid out these principles of, of, of how to understand tongues, how to understand prophecy... How to understand interpretation of tongues. Now we've got to get, in verse 26, practical application. Now that we've gone through this, how is this applied? What's the upshot of all of this? Verse 26, what is it then, brethren? How is it? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, or at the mo- two or at the most three. Then take turns doing it, not all at once. Take turns doing it, and let one interpret. Now, we don't know if that means this has to be an interpretation after every tongue, or let three tongues go and then interpret all three at the same time. We haven't got a clue what this means. It's just our guess. Anyway, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, just quietly under your own breath. Don't take the lead with tongues. You can pray in tongues, but just quietly to yourself. But I want you to note another thing, that the tongues to be interpreted are spoken to God, even again in this verse. If there's no interpreter, you can speak in tongues all right, but just do it quietly and to God. Inferring that the tongues to be interpreted are spoken to God, not to man, as there yet again. How can we not see these things? Is it not plain? How can we not see these things? Let two or three prophets speak. In other words, let, let make room for prophecy, and then let the others judge. Prophecy has to be judged. But if there's anything revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Apparently there were people there who loved to dominate the meetings. Now this is not instructions, listen carefully. These are not instructions about how to have church. This is correcting abuses that are happening. Alright? So don't take these things down as instructions how every church service is supposed to go. These are instructions to stop abuses. And one of the abuses was that there are certain people who like to dominate every meeting, and gave nobody else a chance. That's the, that's the correct... This is correction here. It's not instruction how the churches are supposed to operate. It is correction to bad services already happening. If anything is revealed to another sits by, let the first keep silent. 
In other words, you get up every meeting. Give somebody else a chance. You can all prophesy one by one. Now listen to that. You can all prophesy. At least say amen like you believe it. You can all prophesy. You can all prophesy. In other words, don't let the same three people do it all the time. You can all prophesy. That all may learn. And all may be encouraged. Now the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, don't say, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Just because you have a burden thrown up in you doesn't mean you have to say it. Give somebody else a chance to speak it. Come on. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I'm going to skip 34 and 35, because that is another discussion altogether. Verse 36. I could go on it, but it would take us way off topic. Verse 36. Did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anybody thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that this advice I'm giving you is a commandment of the Lord. But if anybody wants to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. He said in chapter 12, verse 1, I wish you were not ignorant. But some of your mindsets proves that some of you are going to remain ignorant. You're just not listening to common sense. You're not following love. You're not just getting it. You're not concerned about the body of Christ. Come on. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And do not forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Paul is now addressing the disordered behavior of the Corinthians. They had rejected Paul because he had failed their test on speaking in tongues. Little did they know he spoke in tongues more than all of them. Paul will set forth a New Testament pattern of worship where everybody can participate. Now, what I just read here is correction. Don't take this as a manual about how every church service is supposed to go. He is correcting disorder. He's correcting a high degree of individualized worship that people have no concern for other people. These are not instructions on operating spiritual gifts as much as advice on how to correct a bad situation. But we want to turn these things into law. You know, two are the most three. The Bible says that. Is this a law or is this just advice in correcting a bad situation? You follow what I'm saying here? How we can misuse something? His opening exhortation amounts to a probing question. What's the upshot of all of this? He's tying up several loose ends. One of the things he has mentioned as far back in chapter 12 is everybody can minister. Everybody. And yet we leave it to two or three of the same people all the time. Everybody can minister. In a variety of different gifts. There's nine of them that he mentioned. Why are we stuck on two or three of them? Anybody can minister, and there's a whole variety of gifts. Let's allow the Spirit to enlarge our concepts here. And the other thing he's tying up, that every, every exercise of any gift is for edification. And so he's just going to give some ad hoc examples. This is not an order of service. This is just one time you get together, it might be like this. It's not an exhaustive list of all that can be happen when spirit-filled believers get together. There's a divine etc., etc., etc. to the things of the Spirit. Lots of it. Since tongues is really a private gift for the believer's own edification, Paul wisely limits it in the public corporate gathering. Why? It's the wrong tool to bring to the job. Why are you using a screwdriver when you're supposed to be using a saw? It's just the wrong gift for the occasion. He doesn't want to quench their desire for spiritual gifts. So what he does with a gracious heart, he allows two or three manifestations in any given service. 
But he says, make sure you speak one at a time, not all together, and make sure that it's under control, is not pagan ecstasy like you used to have before you got saved. In other words, you can control this and let it be controlled, and then make sure that it's interpreted for the sake of other people. These are guidelines. If there's no interpreter, Paul's advice is, keep quiet. Just do it silently, under your breath. In other words, it's okay to do a little bit in tongues, but don't take the lead in a church service and get vociferous and loud. Only use tongues in public if there is an interpreter. And if there's no interpreter, be quiet or pray to interpret yourself. Don't put the onus on other people to interpret. If you're going to do it in tongues, then you go interpret. Seek for it. Ask God for it. When it comes to prophecy, I want you to notice Paul does not put a limit of two or three. Oh, we had two or three messages from God. That's all we're allowed to have. Who said that? You're not going to find that in your Bible. He limits tongues because tongues is not the right tool. So we'll make allowance for it because people are learning. But I would rather that you prophesy. Yes, he puts a limit on tongues because it's the wrong tool for the job. But he puts no limit on prophecy. I want you to catch that. We've read this. Well, three messages from God and that's enough. The Bible doesn't say that. Three tongues and interpretations is enough because this is the wrong tool. When it comes to prophecy, no limit. You can all prophesy one by one. Paul's advice is not to limit the number of prophecies, but what he does, he says, you need to judge those prophecies. And so after two or three prophecies, Take some time out before somebody else prophesies so you can reflect on what God says and properly discern what God has said. How many have had the experience that after prophetic word, you go home after the church service and you can't remember one single word of that prophecy? Haven't got a clue. Because there is no time of reflection. No judgment. So why bother with it? if we pay no attention to it. So Paul is saying, give time in the church services to judge and reflect what God Almighty is saying. He's laying bare the secrets of our heart. He's edifying. He's encouraging. He's consoling the church. He's exhorting us. He's appealing to us. Let's take time to hear what God has said. So let there be lots of prophecy. But build into the services the time to reflect on what he is saying. Rather than, so we had a word and then go on to something else. And How does prophecy edify like that? See, he's building guidelines in the, in the proper best use. When he says, let the prophet speak two or three, he's not meaning a prophet as in Ephesians 4.11. It means those who are prophesying. Let them speak. It also seems as if there were some people who tend to dominate the meeting, never allowing other people to speak. Paul says, restrain yourself. It doesn't have to be you every week. Give other people opportunity. It is an appeal to self-control and to practice deference to other people. Just defer to other people. You don't have to dominate every meeting. How many realize that the advice I'm giving here, or Paul is giving here, is very opposite to our experience? We have nobody taking the lead. We have nobody prophesying. And so the advice we have here is on the other end of the scale, where everybody's doing something. And now we have services where it's a prayer meeting, and it takes somebody ten minutes to lead out in prayer. And when they're done, we sit for five minutes before somebody else will lead up in prayer. When we get together for prayer, it's not for your private time. It's to corporate prayer. So let's pray when we get together. You're not here to sit in silence and just get blessed by the Lord yourself. That's not the purpose of a corporate prayer meeting. The purpose of a corporate prayer meeting is to pray. So, pray. 
Oh, but I'm so blessed that I'm sitting here in the presence of the Lord. That's not why you're here. You're not here to be blessed by sitting in the presence of the Lord. We're here to pray. Silence is the wrong tool to bring to the prayer meeting. Do that at home. I said it. I'll say it again. Coming here to prayer meetings and being silent is the wrong tool. You can do that at home. Come to pray. Open your mouth and pray. Oh, but I'm being so blessed in the presence of the Lord. Wrong time, wrong place. The purpose of the prayer meeting is corporate prayer, not for you to be blessed. You hear what I'm saying? If we're going to just sit and be quiet and be blessed in the presence of the Lord, go home and do that. We're here to pray. Potentially, all can prophesy one by one in any given meeting. All may learn and all may be exhorted by what the Spirit brings through the many-membered body. These verses also reveal that prophecy can bring a revelation already mentioned in verse, 20, verse 6. These verses teach us this. The Holy Spirit desires to manifest Himself every time the church meets. Every time the church meets, the Holy Spirit desires to manifest Himself. And He wants to use every member of the body of Christ as an instrument through whom He may speak. That is His desire. That is His will. And since the operation of spiritual gifts are under your control, with the church service doesn't have to be in frenzy. It doesn't have to be in the mania like a pagan cult. The Holy Spirit doesn't just seize you and you can't help yourself. There is no loss of control and there's no frenzied, disordered babble to it. Now, in the cults there might be, but not the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. When it says the Spirit of the Prophet, that's simply another way of saying the Holy Spirit speaking through the human spirit. But you are able to control the subject. You are able to control the timing and the manner of every prophetic word. You can control it. Absolutely, you can control it. According to verse number 33, the advice that Paul is giving to this church is in keeping with God's own character. All the other churches have got it right except the Corinthian church. So he says to the Corinthians, get in step with the rest of Pentecost. Get in step with the rest of the churches. The Corinthians were independently marching to their own drum. God does not bring confusion. He does not bring disturbance and he does not bring disorder. He brings peace. Yet the Corinthians had been unruly with their practice of tongues. Live in peace, live in a sense of harmony with each other, live in a way to win the other person's favor. Obviously, these verses do not even remotely suggest that church services were somber. Does it? It sounds like the church services were full of spontaneity. The churches were full of joy. The church services were truly diverse, and almost anything can happen as the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in a variety of different ways through any member of the body of Christ as he sees fit. Doesn't sound like boring church to me. It sounds diverse, powerful, wonderful. The rest of the chapter brings a conclusion and a summary. Here's the question that we've been looking at as we work through this. What does it mean to be spiritual? The Corinthians view, 
Speaking in tongues means to be spiritual. I'm like an angel. Speak with the tongues of men and angels. They had great zeal and they insisted on speaking in tongues every time they gathered together. And they judged Paul as being very unspiritual because he didn't do this. What is Paul's view of what it meant to be spiritual? Paul says there's a broad perspective with a variety of many different gifts and many different ministries. Don't limit yourself to tongues. The point of gathered worship is mutual edification, the expression of true true love one for another. Paul's view is to be intelligible and orderly reflect the character of God as it should be in all the churches. In verse 36 is Paul's answer to a very direct confrontation to them. Remember I said the Corinthians really didn't like Paul a whole lot. And he's answering a very direct confrontation. With sarcasm, Paul would say to these Corinthians, Did the message of Christ originate with you? Are you the fountainhead from which all Christian truth is derived? Who do you think you are? Has God given you a special word that allows you to ignore instructions and be out of touch with the rest of the world? Be out of touch with the rest of the churches? Are you aware of what the Spirit of God is doing in other places? Are you so out of touch with it? Are you a special people that you can march to your own drum and be ignorant of what God's doing everywhere else? Pretty strong words. Open your world up. Open your world. Get out of your box. Get delivered from the smallness of your culture. See what God is doing all over the place. Paul sums up this section with the same words he summed up when he talked about wisdom and knowledge. Remember the first gift of the Spirit in the list is the word of wisdom. And he deals with the word of wisdom in Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. In chapter 3 and 18, he would make this statement. I'll have to read it for you. Chapter 3, 18, about their wisdom. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he might be wise. So with sarcasm, they think they're full of wisdom. And he's sarcastic. If anyone thinks himself to be wise... And then the second gift in chapter 12 was the word of knowledge, which he deals with in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Concerning the word of knowledge, um, notice what he says. I've just got to find the right scripture for it. Oh, I can't put my finger on it. Chapter 8 and verse 2. If any man thinks that he has knowledge, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So in other words, he makes fun of their wisdom. He makes fun of their knowledge. And now, in chapter 14, when it comes to speaking in tongues, thinking that speaking in tongues has made them spiritual, he makes fun of their spirituality. Verse 37 of chapter 14, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual. In other words, you're ignorant in wisdom, even though you have a word of wisdom. You're ignorant in knowledge, even though you have a word of knowledge. And you're ignorant in spirituality, even though you speak in tongues. When it came to the things of the Spirit, the Corinthian church was absolutely ignorant all the way through. Totally. Anybody who thinks himself to be a prophet, a recognized position of ministry, if you think yourself as spiritual as they saw themselves, then they should recognize that what Paul was saying to them was coming from the Lord. After all, Paul was an apostle, which outranks the prophet anyway. Outranks the prophet anyway. But they they chose to be ignorant. In spite of Paul saying in chapter 10, I don't want to be ignorant, In chapter 12, verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant. There are some people that choose to be ignorant. 
They simply won't receive instruction and guidance in these things. Those who fail to recognize the Holy Spirit in Paul's wisdom, listen carefully, they themselves will fail to be recognized by God. If you can't recognize the Spirit in Paul's wisdom here, you yourselves will not be recognized by God himself. That's what chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 state. You can't recognize the Spirit in this. God's not going to recognize you. It's a place I don't want to be. place I don't want to be. So his parting words of advice after all of this debate is simple. Eagerly desire to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But let everything be done in a manner which will bring edification to other people. Those are the three things. Eagerly desire to prophesy. Don't forbid the speaking in tongues. And let everything be done in a manner that will produce edification for the sake of others. Right after that, Paul will go on to the teaching of chapter 15 about the resurrection of the body. Why does he follow the teaching on tongues with the teaching of the resurrection of the body? Because Paul is saying spirituality is not wrapped up in how much you speak in tongues. Spirituality is measured by the resurrection yet to come. Are you living for the day when Jesus returns? That's what true spirituality is. So what have you learned about speaking in tongues from this chapter? Hopefully you learned a few things. But very, very powerful. And Paul practiced it in private more than the Corinthians did in public. Let me give you very quickly a few things and we'll take another break here. Leaving 1 Corinthians 14, let me give you several benefits of speaking in tongues. Several benefits. Number one, it was foretold in the Old Testament. Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, which Paul quotes. Speak with stammering lips and other tongues while I speak to this people. Isaiah chapters 24 to 28 is sometimes referred to as the little apocalypse or the little book of Revelation. Sometimes. Gives a moving portrayal of end times. Isaiah 24 to 28 does. But in the midst of all the judgments, God would say, I will, I'm going to cause something to happen in the end times that will give rest and refreshing. Speaking in other tongues. Rest and refreshing. Listen to this. Through this enabling, through this gift of tongues, according to Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, through this gift of tongues, you can overcome stress. You can overcome depression. You can overcome tension. You can overcome anxiety. It brings you into rest and refreshing. God says he will communicate with his people through this gifting. When would this happen according to Isaiah? Well, when the end of the ages would come. Some people speaking in tongues will sound like stammering lips. Suggesting that when they begin, it's kind of halting, it's not a real fast, good flow. But it also suggests there will be people who will harden themselves against this. And people who harden themselves against this are in the extreme danger of unbelief. Isaiah chapter 28 verses 11, 12, and 13 will say all of those things that I just said. Rest and refreshing. And if you harden yourself against it, you're just playing with the hard heart of unbelief. Dangerous. Number two, I would suggest, according to the Great Commission, Mark 16, verses 15 to 17, Jesus said believers will do this 
as part of the new dispensation. They will cast out devils. They will speak in new tongues. In other words, the Great Commission involves the presence of the miraculous. And it implies in Mark 16 that speaking in tongues is a doorway to the miraculous. It implies that speaking in tongues is a doorway into the miraculous. We have seen that speaking in tongues is common through the book of Acts from the day of Pentecost onwards. It's very common. We have seen that speaking in tongues is a gift. Think of tongues as a gift from God to the church. He doesn't give gifts unnecessarily. It is a gift from God to the church. Who are you and I to not receive the gift that God has given? Oh, we don't do that in this church. Oh, you tell God that. It's his gift. You tell God. I'm not going to tell that to God. You can tell him that yourself. No, I don't want that gift. It's a gift that God has given to the church. In order for the church to accomplish its work, 1 Corinthians 12:28, diversity of tongues is required. God has given diversity of tongues as a means for the church to accomplish its work. Why do we think we can accomplish this work without these gifts? And speaking in tongues is a gift that God has given for the church to accomplish its work. We have said that speaking in tongues enables the believer. to. It helps you commune with God in prayer. It helps you to praise. It helps you to worship. And it helps you to give thanks on a level higher than you can do on your own. It enables you to speak mysteries, taking you well beyond your human limitations and human comprehension. Do you realize by praying in tongues you can make supplication for things you don't understand? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can break through when your own feelings grow cold? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can overcome demonic opposition? Did you realize that praying in tongues you will be enabled to pray over longer periods of time? Did you realize that praying in tongues you can do that while you are mechanically engaged in other activities? You can pray in tongues while you drive your car. You can pray in tongues while you walk. You can pray in tongues while you do dishes. Since praying in tongues bypasses your mind, you can be involved in all sorts of things and be in prayer at the same time. Amazing. Do you realize by praying in tongues you allow the Spirit to operate when you are in ungodly company or you're under stress? Do you realize by praying in tongues you have a gift by which you can pour your heart out to God? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can articulate groans and desires of your heart? You can release those deep desires. Who wouldn't want to pray in tongues? When you pray in tongues, you're edified. Exercising the gift of tongues will help you to be more tuned into the things and the life of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Scripture encourages everybody to speak with tongues. I would that you all spoke in tongues. And Paul's own determination is, I will pray in the Spirit, I will sing with the Spirit, I will bless with the Spirit. That was his own personal determination. When they're interpreted, speaking in tongues will edify the whole church. When the speaking in tongues is done in the native language of one present, like you speak Japanese in the presence of a Japanese person, the effect is electrifying. Matter of fact, that kind of speaking in tongues was the major phenomena that attracted the attention on the day of Pentecost, causing 3,000 people to be saved. Marvelous. We are commanded to not forbid speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues in the New Testament is a contrast to the confusion of tongues at Babel in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel was ceased by the judgment of other tongues, In the New Testament, this church is built by the blessing of tongues. Well, that's interesting. 
Speaking in tongues is a gift completely out of the control of the believer. You can use the gift at will, anytime, anywhere. You can pray in tongues while doing a host of other activities at the same time. Who wouldn't want to speak in tongues? God says he will communicate with his people through this gifting. When would this happen according to Isaiah? Well, when the end of the ages would come. Some people speaking in tongues will sound like stammering lips. Suggesting that when they begin, it's kind of halting. It's not a real fast, good flow. But it also suggests there will be people who will harden themselves against this. And people who harden themselves against this are in the extreme danger of unbelief. Isaiah chapter 28 verses 11, 12, and 13 will say all of those things that I just said. Rest and refreshing. And if you harden yourself against it, you're just playing with the hard heart of unbelief. Dangerous. Number two. I would suggest, according to the Great Commission, Mark 16, verses 15 to 17, Jesus said believers will do this as part of the new dispensation. They will cast out devils. They will speak in new tongues. In other words, the Great Commission involves the presence of the miraculous, and it implies in Mark 16 that speaking in tongues is a doorway to the miraculous. It implies that speaking in tongues is a doorway into the miraculous. We have seen that speaking in tongues is common through the book of Acts from the day of Pentecost onwards. It's very common. We have seen that speaking in tongues is a gift. Think of tongues as a gift from God to the church. He doesn't give gifts unnecessarily. It is a gift from God to the church. Who are you and I to not receive the gift that God has given? Oh, we don't do that in this church. Oh, you tell God that. It's his gift. You tell God. I'm not going to tell that to God. You can tell him that yourself. No, I don't want that gift. It's a gift that God has given to the church. In order for the church to accomplish its work, 1 Corinthians 12:28, diversity of tongues is required. God has given diversity of tongues as a means for the church to accomplish its work. Why do we think we can accomplish this work without these gifts? And speaking in tongues is a gift that God has given for the church to accomplish its work. We have said that speaking in tongues enables the believer to... It helps you commune with God in prayer. It helps you to praise. It helps you to worship. And it helps you to give thanks on a level higher than you can do on your own. It enables you to speak mysteries, taking you well beyond your human limitations and human comprehension. Do you realize by praying in tongues you can make supplication for things you don't understand? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can break through when your own feelings grow cold? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can overcome demonic opposition? Did you realize that praying in tongues you will be enabled to pray over longer periods of time? Did you realize that praying in tongues you can do that while you are mechanically engaged in other activities? You can pray in tongues while you drive your car. You can pray in tongues while you walk. You can pray in tongues while you do dishes. Since praying in tongues bypasses your mind, you can be involved in all sorts of things and be in prayer at the same time. Amazing. Do you realize by praying in tongues you allow the Spirit to operate when you are in ungodly company or you're under stress? Do you realize by praying in tongues you have a gift by which you can pour your heart out to God? Do you realize by praying in tongues you can articulate groans and desires of your heart? You can release those deep desires. Who wouldn't want to pray in tongues? When you pray in tongues, you're edified. 
exercising the gift of tongues will help you to be more tuned into the things and the life of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Scripture encourages everybody to speak with tongues. I would that you all spoke in tongues. And Paul's own determination is, I will pray in the Spirit, I will sing with the Spirit, I will bless with the Spirit. That was his own personal determination. When they're interpreted, speaking in tongues will edify the whole church. When the speaking in tongues is done in the native language of one present, like you speak Japanese in the presence of a Japanese person, the effect is electrifying. Matter of fact, that kind of speaking in tongues was the major phenomena that attracted the attention on the day of Pentecost, causing 3,000 people to be saved. Marvelous. We are commanded to not forbid speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues in the New Testament is a contrast to the confusion of tongues at Babel in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel was ceased by the judgment of other tongues. In the New Testament, this church is built by the blessing of tongues. Well, that's interesting. Speaking in tongues is a gift completely out of the control of the believer. You can use the gift at will, anytime, anywhere. You can pray in tongues while doing a host of other activities at the same time. Who wouldn't want to speak in tongues?